real joy and privilege uh, to be here. Uh, Riverbend Bible Church sends greetings to all of you, and uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful privilege to be here. Adam and I are dear, dear friends, and I consider it a, a true joy uh, to know you, brother, and you are thankful uh, for your pastor, I am sure, because he is a, a man of God, a man of the Word, and we uh, are thrilled to know that Riverbend Bible Church uh, has been blessed time and time again by Adam, and we look forward to having him and, and any of you that want to come and visit us, uh, so please do come down to New Zealand. In New Zealand, I'm preaching through the Gospel of Mark, and I've reached chapter 7, and we looked recently at the first 13 verses of Mark chapter 7, and that is to do with tradition, and Jesus talks about tradition there. And every church has wonderful traditions. Uh, we do, and I'm sure you do. And I've been taught that every sermon needs to have a front porch, a front door, a hallway, a lounge room, and then a kitchen. And uh, sometimes when we speak about tradition, we get to the kitchen and put our finger on some things. And while the people at my church are mature enough to know that um, biblical traditions and man-made traditions and, and the like, coming from an open brethren DNA, uh, which is what our church is, a background, there's the observance of the Lord's Supper each and every Sunday. And uh, that's a tradition that we have. And... Um, part of the sermon in Mark recently, I went into the kitchen because some people think that it is a biblical command that you have to observe it each and every Sunday. Uh, the people from my church are mature enough to know that that's not the case, but some people from an open brethren DNA believe that to be the case. And so I went into the kitchen and spoke about that a little bit. And a man came up to me afterwards and he said, wow, you're talking about that in an open brethren his history church. He said, you need a medal of bravery. Well, I'm here at Placerita Bible Church preaching from a psalm where Dr. Barak is, and so I probably need a medal of bravery too. <laughs> it's so wonderful to be with you, and uh, I see many, uh, some familiar faces and many new faces, and so uh, it's just a joy and a privilege. And so I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 145. As you're turning there, I want you to consider this phrase for a moment. And the phrase is, praise God. We know that phrase. Praise the Lord, we know that phrase too. Both common to our Christian faith, common in our, to our Christian life. It's common vernacular in the lives of the people of God. And yet I think, for some the entire concept and very notion of what it means to praise God can be lost on us. What it means to praise God can be this kind of pie-in-the-sky type of thing that, that we don't truly understand or truly comprehend or grasp nor live out. But as the people of God, we have much to praise God for. And so this morning, with a proper and working and practical I trust, definition of what it means to praise God, may the fog lift for us. May we truly become what God truly wants us to be, and that is that we would be a praising people. A people who turn their hearts and minds and mouths and our very affections toward our God and praise Him. We see from the Psalms 
that there is a way by which they have a very powerful way of moving us from having eyes that are fixed and focused on self to eyes that are fixed and focused on God. Eyes that see that He is truly wonderful, that He is worthy of our adoration. And that when we live a life as we ought, a live a life of praising God, when we're in awe of Him, it affects our daily life. Each and every one of us here this morning needs to be affected and in awe of Him that we live a life of praise. You see, when we make self big and God small, which is so often our bent, when self is adored and God is ignored, only trouble and only a wandering away into apathy and self-centeredness and the like as a result, when we do that, we need Psalm 145. And so this morning, I want us to consider this Psalm of David. This is the last ever Psalm that is attributed to David. This is considered the last Psalm that he ever wrote. And the title of the message this morning, I've taken straight out of the superscription, a Psalm of praise. This Psalm is the only Psalm that is described as such, and the reason, I believe, is to do with the author. It's found in the author himself, David, a man who we see throughout the Psalms, we see throughout the Old Testament, a man who we have seen committed great sin. We saw that he genuinely confessed and repented of that sin, and as a result, found great mercy from a God who delights to show mercy. And so, the Psalms give us a window into the life of David, and this once, who was this once young and strong shepherd boy who was made king over all Israel, who sinned against his God, who repented and restored, was restored, and then who vowed upon being restored that he would teach sinners the ways of God. And if you were to read Psalm 32, you see the very outworking of that vow that he made. And so, the result of being abundantly pardoned in the life of David resulted in David having a life that abundantly praises. And so you and I, as we sit here this morning, we have been abundantly pardoned, have we not? Therefore, we must be characterized by those who abundantly praise. This psalm of David has been well said to be where David saves his best until last. And his best is a psalm of praise. And so let's read it together. So follow along with me in your Bibles, beginning in verse 1, Psalm 145. A psalm of praise of David. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. And I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised. And His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. 
Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all and His mercies are over all His works. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He will also hear their cry and and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love Him, but but all the wicked He will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And all flesh will bless His holy name forever. I learned recently that it was decreed by the rabbis that if one was to read some Psalm 145 three times a day, that it would guarantee that person entrance into heaven. And they base this upon the grace that is offered as a result of the words found in verse 16 there. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Well, I can assure you, and you know this already, the only way to have peace with God, the forgiveness of sins, eternal life and entrance into heaven is through the blood of Jesus Christ upon the cross and His resurrection. If you were to get a copy of the daily Jewish liturgy, you would find Psalm 145 written three times in each day. That's an interesting insight and another is, and This is one out of the text and not one from man-made religion. It is that Psalm 145 is what is called an acrostic psalm. Meaning that each verse begins with a letter in consecutive form from the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, but you see, however, that there's only 21 verses in Psalm 145. That's because the Hebrew letter Nun is missing. And if you were to look down at verse 13, your translation in your hand may have the words, the Lord is faithful in all His words and kind in all His works. It may have those in brackets. Or if you're using the NASB, as I am, it simply doesn't contain those words. The oldest Hebrew manuscripts don't contain those words, and so we'll leave those for today. I did hear, just by way of a side note, I did hear an interesting reason as to why there is a letter from the alphabet missing. I'm not sure about it, but here it is. The reason there's a letter missing is it makes the psalm incomplete to signify that the reasons to praise God are never complete, that we'll always have reasons to praise God. That's an interesting thought, but not sure. Let's continue. Being an acrostic psalm, 
it can make outlining this psalm a little tricky. I mean, no one wants to hear or preach, perhaps, a sermon with 21 points. Not a point for each letter of the alphabet. Most scholars and commentators break it up the same way, as there's truth, truths, significant truths that are, that are can, uh, within its breakup that are distinguishable. And so I found most helpful as I prepared for this message, various works, Dr. Barak being one. Any preacher worth his salt will always, who's preaching through the Psalms, will always go to Dr. Barak's work. And if you're preaching through the Old Testament, you most certainly have to go through to go to Dr. Keith Essex's works too. I see you there, brother. But it was a brother in seminary who was using a number of resources like I just mentioned. He walked through this psalm while we were there studying. And so I've taken a leaf out of his book. His outline was so incredibly helpful. I've mixed it up a little bit, uh, but the flow of thought is still the same. Danny Gumprecht is his name. So let's now set our hearts and minds towards this wonderful psalm, this psalm of praise. And, and let's allow the truth that it contains to affect our very lives. We're going to see how it affected David's life. And we need to be active, do we not, in our pursuit of praise. It needs to be an observable reality in our life. As the people of God, as we live out our life, it needs to be observable that we are a people of praise. So this psalm of praise gives us many reasons to praise God. And I've tried to make the points an imperative, meaning that they are, they are to call us to praise our God. But before we begin, as I said, I need, I need to give us a workable, practical definition of what it means to praise God. Otherwise, I think it's important because otherwise it's all just vague Christianese. It can become cultural. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. To praise God is to ascribe, that is to assign to God the glory due His name. And to ascribe God the glory that is due His name is to speak forth and proclaim His attributes and character and deeds as beautiful and all-satisfying. To ascribe to God the glory that is due His name by speaking and proclaiming His attributes and character and deeds as all-beautiful and all-satisfying. We'll see in this psalm a commitment and a devotion to praise God, to speak forth and proclaim His attributes and character as beautiful and all-satisfying. And we see this type of devotion and commitment from David as he begins in verses 1 and 2. Look there. He says, I will extol you. I will extol you. My God, O King, I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you. I will praise you. Notice here that the King of Israel calls his God. My God, O King. And so with that zeal and that focus and that resolve in verses 1 and 2, will then be given by David himself in Psalm 145 four reasons to praise God. Four inescapable reasons to praise God that will surely compel us 
to praise our God. And the first reason we are given to praise God is found in verses 3 through 7. And if you're taking notes this morning, the first heading I want to give you is praise our God who is great. Verses 3 through 7. Verse 3, great is the Lord and highly to be praised and His greatness is unsearchable. It's here that David is enthralled by the greatness of God. In this psalm and throughout and in the opening seven verses here, we see this personal praise by David and also a collective praise called for by David. Verse 4, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Verse 5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. I want you to see two aspects of this greatness that David is unfolding for us. He isn't simply just singing these words that God is great. There is significant substance behind it. And it's seen in the person of the Lord and the works of the Lord. His person in verse 3, great is the Lord. The descriptor for Yahweh is that He is great. Everything that characterizes the person of Yahweh is great. His works... In verse 4, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Works and acts is repeated throughout there. Wonderful works and awesome acts, they're called in verses 5 and 6. But what are these wonderful works and awesome acts that David is speaking of here? What are they? Well, David was born under the law. By age 12, he would have memorized the Torah. And what's one of the most, what's one of the first great acts we see in the first five books of the law? Well, Genesis 1 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, ex nihilio, that is, out of nothing, God created everything by the word of his power. That's a great and wonderful act, is it not? No doubt the flood was on David's mind too. That was a great act of judgment. Surely the mighty deliverance of Israel and out of Egypt where God displays His immense greatness in contrast to that of the pagan gods who literally have no greatness at all. Surely the waters parting and the protection of Israel against all those that rose up against God, surely by this God's greatness and was on display. Verse 3 tells us that His greatness is unsearchable. That is, that there is no end to His greatness. His infinite greatness is incomprehensible to our finite mind. It was Augustine who said, I see the depths, but I cannot get to the bottom. Surely God's wonderful works and awesome acts here includes the work that God does in the heart of men and women and children who put their faith in the Messiah. You and I have had that happen to us if we're in Christ. 
That's a wonderful and mighty act. When God saved you and I, He did a mighty act and a wonderful work. And we can praise God for that, can we not? That we've been delivered from death. David certainly praised God for that. Verse 4, one generation shall praise your works to another. When we meditate upon these things, when we meditate upon the greatness of our God and dwell upon the greatness of our God, we will surely then praise God and then pass that praise on to the next generation. When we are in awe of God, it affects us in such a way that it impacts the next generation. I've always said, do you have a praise that you can pass on? Are you infectious? Are you, in contag- are you contagious? That when people come into contact with you, you pass it on. We must be a people who praise God. Our God is great. And He is greatly to be praised. He's greatly to be spoken about. In times of ease and in times of comfort. He's, he's greatly to be shared with, with others. Shouted from the rooftop. Dear brothers and sisters, let's praise our God who is great. That's the first reason. The second reason we're given to praise God is seen in verses 8 through 13. Praise our God who is glorious. Glorious. Look at verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful. The most repeated phrase in the Old Testament. Slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and His mercies are over all His works. Our God is abounding and full of glory. He is glorious. Let me show you something. In verse 8, we see basically a word-for-word repeat of Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Turn back with me to Exodus chapter 33 for a moment. I want to show you something. In verse 18, or verse 17, we'll pick up there. The Lord said to Moses, Exodus 33, verse 17, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you, show me your glory. Verse 19, and he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. And will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. And will show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock. And it will come about while my glory is passing by, that I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll take my hand away, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Well, then you read on in verse 34, chapter 34, Moses heads up to the mountain that is Mount Sinai. Remember that he has prayed, show me your glory. Remember that. He has prayed that. Look down at verse 5 of Exodus 34. Here it is. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him. And look what he said. And proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness. You see, 
the praiseworthy glory of God is seen in the praiseworthy character of God. And the character of God is seen in those words. The exact words from Psalm 145, verse 8. Back to Psalm 145. What does His glory look like? What's the praiseworthy glory? Well, it's seen in the praiseworthy character of God. Our Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He's glorious. His loving kindness there, which is His loyal love, His unfailing covenant-keeping love, means that God is committed to our good and to our care. Committed to our good and to our care. Praiseworthy. How glorious is our God. So exalted and high and lifted up above us, but so merciful and so patient and so intimately acquainted with us. God is so worthy of our praise, so worthy of our speaking forth to others of His goodness to us. He is slow to anger. Look at verse 9. Verse 9, the Lord is good to all. All surely means the children of God and then including those that are opposed in rebellion, the enemies of God. He's good to all. Even His enemies. And I don't know, but the Lord knows, you might sit here this morning an enemy of God. Because if you sit here unconverted, you are in rebellion against this good God. And He's still kind to you. The breath you just took and the one you're about to take is all from His kind hand. They both came from His kindness toward you because He is King over all. And there will come a point where if you sit here unconverted that you will bow the knee to the King who is over all and kind to all and He will execute perfect justice and judgment upon you. He's kind to all. Look at verse 10. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord. And your godly ones shall bless you. Verse 10 tells us that the believer will bless God. To bless is to kneel. The believer doesn't just strut past God. The believer gets low in adoration and reverence before God. This God is full of Glory. He is glorious. Not only is God glorious in His character, He's also glorious over His kingdom. We've seen there that His character is glorious, and now look at His kingdom. Look at the repetition. Verse 11. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom. Verse 12. And the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. And then twice in verse 13, your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Part of our praise must include the glorious kingdom of our glorious God. It is an everlasting kingdom. In verse 1, David, the king of Israel, called his God, O 
king. And here, David is praising this king for his kingdom is eternal. As king, God is sovereign in his rule over his kingdom. And this is a comforting reality here. Why? Because the coming kingdom that every believer will enter into is everlasting. It will never be ransacked. It will never be overthrown. Kingdoms here on earth, they fall, they're ransacked, they're overthrown. Worldly powers rise and fall. Earthly kings come and go. Their kingdoms pass away. We see the remainders and remnants and ruins of castles the world over because they were temporary. But the kingdom of God will remain. And the reason is because our glorious God reigns supreme. Praiseworthy. Our God is great. He is glorious. That's two reasons to praise God. Two reasons to ascribe to God the glory due His name by speaking forth His attributes and His character and His deeds as all beautiful and all satisfying. The third reason to praise God that we're given by David is found in verses 14 through 17. Praise our God who is good. You and I must praise our God who is great and glorious and good. Verse 14, the Lord sustains all who fall. He is good. And raises up all who are bowed down. He is good. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time. He is good. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. He is good. Here David is praising God for his generosity. The Lord sustains all who fall. Not some, not most, but all. You see, so good is our God that when one falls, when the believer stumbles and trips and crashes, and you and I will have times in our life where we will most certainly stumble and trip and crash. So good is our God that when that happens, Our God provides a way back to our feet. You know, you and I, we can kick people when they're down. But God picks people up when they're down. Amen? He is so generous. He is so good. We are so weak and so frail and so inadequate in and of ourselves. But we worship And we serve a God who delights to sustain us on our journey. This life can be hard. This life can be filled with tribulation promised by our Savior. This life can be a challenge. We can face trials that seem to know no end. But our God delights to sustain us on our journey. Praiseworthy. When we feel like failures not living as we ought to live, when our hope is lost, when despair takes over, our God, our good God, sustains us. This may not happen right away. We might be down and out for a while. But in His time, when our eyes are toward Him and His goodness, when our eyes are off self and on the sovereign, 
He will, in His good time, lift us up with His generous and good and providing hand. Not only does our God sustain us when we fall, look at verses 15 and 16. He opens His hand to our needs, is what David shows us here. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of everything, every living thing. As His children, as believers, God provides. But look, look at the words of verse 15. It doesn't say the eyes of all those that are redeemed look to you and you give them their food in time. No, it says the eyes of all, all look to you. And you give them their food in due time. Our God is good to all people. Every person made in the image of God. All those who worship false gods. All those who say there is no God. All those who live in sin against God. They are fed. They are given enough sustenance to keep on living. Even when that living is in rebellion against the very hand that feeds them. The rain and the sun both fall, do they not, on the just and the unjust, such is the kindness and goodness of our God. Our God, by His very character, is good. And for you and me, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who have this good God as our Heavenly Father, we have much to praise God for. He has provided an abundance for us. He satisfies us with an abundance. If you look around and you just can't keep up with the Joneses, that you face famine in your earthly life, that you feel lacking in earthly goods and supply, it's the same for us in New Zealand, it's the same for every person here in the United States of America, well most anyway. The next time you're able to go to the supermarket or put even the smallest amount of gas in your tank or even enjoy a glass of clean running water, be thankful. For He is good. And what you just purchased and what you just partook in, He supplied. For He is the source. David is praising God here because... It's so wonderful. He's just, he's, it's affecting him about how wonderful God is. He's calling you and I to do the same because David sees here a God who supplies food to strengthen us and fulfills those desires that are in accord with His will and that makes our hearts glad. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing, every desire that is in accord with God's will and it satisfies us. Our God is so very good. He provides for our every need. He keeps His Word and His Word is good. Look at verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His deeds. It's here that David shows us just how loving and kind and gracious our God is in all His ways and in His deeds. The kindness of is on display. He's righteous. 
He's good. He's never corrupt. He's never cruel. He's always righteous. He's always kind. He's always good. How can you not be moved to praise God? To ascribe the praise due His name. He is by His very character and by His deeds so good, for they are so beautiful and they are so satisfying, for they are so abundant. And if your eyes are blind to the abundance of God, it's because your eyes are on self and not on the sovereign. Our disposition is to make self big and God small. We're going to make God big and man small. He's already big. Let's praise God for His generosity in our lives. But here's a question. Do you stand in awe of this God? Of the goodness and greatness and gloriousness and generosity of this God? A thing that we can draw out of this is that our God created us for good works that we might walk in them. And so, as lavished as we are with His goodness, we can share that goodness with those who are in need. God provides our every need and may we look to others who are in need. You are a church family. A family. Our God is great. He's certainly glorious and abounding in glory. Our God is good. And you know what? We can imitate Him in that. We can imitate His goodness. The fourth and final reason to praise God we are given from David here is found in verses 18 through to 21. We must praise our God who is gracious. Verse 18, the Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. It is here we see a major transition from the scope going from all people to a special people. God's people. And who are God's people? Well, let me show you. They are those who call upon Him, that is, those who pray, verse 18. Verse 19, it's those who fear Him. Verse 20, all who love Him. That's the special people, God's people. David's transitioning here. It's those who are in a saving relationship with Him. It's the believer who truly and properly fears God. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. All those who... He will also hear their cry and will save them. When we pray, when we call upon Him, we call in truth. Why? Because we've received that truth by grace. And when we call out, He hears our call. Why? An an important word there in verse 18, the word near. The Lord is near to all who call. Yahweh. He is near to the believer. He is not off in some distance, distant land and simply just able to hear our prayers. No, He is within arm's length, closer than a friend. Yes, indeed, Yahweh is high and lifted up. 
But he is close, so close. He hears our calls, he knows our pains, he's intimately acquainted with our ways and he saves us out of our difficult circumstances, whether in this life or most certainly in the next. He's gracious to us. Look at verse 20. Not only does, does God hear and answer our prayers so graciously, He protects graciously. The Lord keeps all who love Him. We live as the people of God, protected by God. Another reason to praise God. There's so many reasons to praise God. And then David does something that at first seems just too much. I mean, we've been traveling through here from verse 1 through to now verse 20. <clears throat> we've been enthralled and in awe of our good and gracious God. We've seen His glory in His character and His deeds. We're, we're confronted with just how wonderful He is. And then David mentions the wicked. The wicked. There's been no mention of the wicked thus far at all in this psalm. This kind of appears to, to, to come out of nowhere. Why the mention of the wicked? That, that seems a bit harsh and strong and jolting, doesn't it, David? Well, let me explain here. Verse 20. The Lord protects and keeps all who love Him. But all the wicked he will destroy. Let me elaborate and explain a little bit. God is great, God is good, He is glorious and gracious. But you won't worship Him. You won't obey Him. You won't follow Him. You won't serve Him. You won't love Him. That is the very definition of wicked. If you sit here this morning, no matter what age, If you haven't committed your life to following Jesus Christ, turned away from your sin and from yourself and fleed to the Savior, the precious Lord Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd. If you haven't turned away from your sin and exercised a repentant faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that He was put upon a cross, that He bore the sins of all those that believe, that He rose again the third day, then you aren't if you haven't done that, you aren't at peace with God. You are, by very definition, in the face of how good and glorious and gracious and generous our God is, you are, by very definition, wicked. But because God is so good, and because He's so glorious and so gracious and so generous, this very day, 
You can move from death to life. To serving self, to being in adoration and wonder and awe and in love with the Savior, Jesus Christ. If you would humble yourself and give your life to following Jesus Christ. You would go from being opposed to God to having peace with God. Would you do that today? And then there in verse 21. David closes this entire psalm with a therefore. A type of therefore. In light of everything that's just been said. That that he is great. That our God is glorious and good and so very gracious. In light of all of that. David says, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. And all flesh will bless His holy name forever and ever. To praise God is to ascribe to God the glory that is due His name. And to ascribe to God the glory that is due His name is to speak and proclaim His character and His attributes and His deeds as all beautiful and all satisfying. You and I have many reasons to praise God and His for them. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Help us, Lord, to extol You and bless Your name. Help us every day to bless You. You are so great. You are highly to be praised. Your greatness is unsearchable. Help us to praise your works to another person that they might praise their works. Help us to declare your mighty acts. Help us to meditate upon your wonderful works. Help us to speak of the power of your awesome acts. Help us to be eager to utter the memory of your goodness. Lord, you are so gracious and so merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. Lord, you are so good to all. You sustain us when we fall. You lift us up when we are bowed down. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every one of us. You are righteous in all your ways. You call, you hear us when we call. You keep us. Help us to speak your praise. We thank you in Jesus' name.